Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 32nd installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using. Threat Against the Expression of the Spirit in the body, the human body in its original masculinity and femininity, according to the mystery of creation, as we know from the analysis of Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, see especially Theology of the Body 15 at 1, is not only a source of fruitfulness, that is, of procreation, but has from the beginning a spousal character, that is, it has the power to express the love by which the human person becomes a gift, thus fulfilling the deep meaning of his or her being and existence. In this, its own distinctive character, the body is the expression of the spirit, and is called in the very mystery of creation to exist in the communion of persons in the image of God. Now the concupiscence that comes from the world, the concupiscence at stake, is directly that of the body limits and deforms this objective mode of existing of the body in which man has come to share. The human heart experiences the degree of this limitation or deformation, above all in the sphere of reciprocal relations between man and woman. Precisely in the experience of the heart, femininity and masculinity and their mutual relations seem to be no longer the expression of the spirit that tends toward personal communion, and are left only as an object of attraction, in some sense as it happens in the world of living beings, which, like man, have received the blessing of fruitfulness. See Genesis chapter 1. Such a similarity is certainly contained in the work of creation. Genesis chapter 2 also confirms this, especially verse 24. However, already in the mystery of creation, what constituted the natural, somatic, and sexual substratum of that attraction fully expressed the call of man and woman to personal communion. After sin, on the contrary, in the new situation about which Genesis chapter 3 speaks, this expression grew weak and dark, as if it had been absent in the shaping of reciprocal relations, or as if it had been driven back to another level. The natural and somatic substrate of human sexuality manifested itself as a quasi-self-generating force marked by a certain constraint of the body operating according to its own dynamics, which limits the expression of the spirit and the experience of the exchange of the gift of the person. The words of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 addressed to the woman seem to indicate this quite clearly. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he will dominate you. The human body in its masculinity and femininity has almost lost the power of expressing this love in which the human person becomes a gift in conformity with the deepest structure and finality of his or her personal existence. As we have already observed in our earlier analyses, see Theology of the Body 15 at 1 and 32 at 1.
if we do not formulate this judgment here in an absolute way, but add the adverb almost, quasi, we do so because the dimension of gift, that is, the power to express the love by which man, through his femininity or masculinity, becomes a gift for another, has in some measure continued to permeate and shape the love born in a human heart. The spousal meaning of the body has not become totally foreign to that heart. It has not been totally suffocated in it by concupiscence, but only habitually threatened. The heart has become a battlefield between love and concupiscence. The more concupiscence dominates the heart, the less the heart experiences the spousal meaning of the body and the less sensitive it becomes to the gift of the person that expresses precisely this meaning in the reciprocal relations of man and woman, certainly even that desire about which Christ speaks in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and through 28, appears in many forms in the human heart. It is not always plain and obvious. Sometimes it is concealed, so that it passes itself off as love, although it changes love's authentic profile and obscures the transparent clarity of the gift in the reciprocal relationship of persons. Does this mean that we should distrust the human heart? No. It is only to say that we must remain in control of it. Loss of the freedom of the gift. The image of the concupiscence of the body that emerges from the present analysis has a clear reference to the image of the person with which we connected our earlier analyses on the subject of the spousal meaning of the body. In fact, as a person, man is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself. And, at the same time, the one who cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. Gaudium et Spes 24 at 3. Concupiscence in general, and the concupiscence of the body in particular, attacks precisely this sincere gift. It deprives man, one could say, of the dignity of the gift which is expressed by his body through femininity and masculinity and in some sense depersonalizes man, making him an object for the other. Instead of being together with the other a subject in unity, or better, in the sacramental unity of the body, man becomes an object for man, the female for the male, and vice versa. The words of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 and following, and before them, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and following, bear witness to this change with full clarity of contrast when compared to Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. By violating the dimension of the mutual gift of the man and the woman, concupiscence also casts doubt on the fact that each of them is willed by the Creator for himself. The subjectivity of the person gives way in some sense to the objectivity of the body. Because of the body, man becomes an object for man, the female for the male and vice versa. Concupiscence signifies, so to speak, that the personal relations of man and woman are one-sidedly and reductively tied to the body and to sex in the sense that these relations become almost incapable of welcoming the reciprocal gift of the person. 
They neither contain nor treat femininity and masculinity according to the full dimension of personal subjectivity. They do not constitute the expression of communion, but remain one-sidedly determined by sex. Concupiscence brings with it the loss of the inferior freedom of the gift. The spousal meaning of the human body is linked exactly to this freedom. Man can become a gift, that is, man and woman can exist in the relationship of the reciprocal gift of self, if each of them masters himself. Concupiscence, which manifests itself as a constraint sui generis of the body, limits and restricts self-mastery from within, and thereby in some sense makes the interior freedom of the gift impossible. At the same time, also the beauty of the human body possesses in its male and female appearance, as an expression of the spirit is obscured. The body is left as an object of concupiscence, and thus as a terrain of appropriation of the other human being. Concupiscence, as such, is not able to promote union as a communion of persons. By itself it does not unite, but appropriates to itself. The relationship of the gift changes into a relationship of appropriation. At this point we interrupt our reflections today. The final problem treated here is of such great importance and subtlety. From the point of view of the difference between authentic love, that is, the communion of persons, and concupiscence, that we will have to take it up again in our next meeting. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 32nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. As always, our Holy Father has given us much to think on. I thought 11 things really stood out, most of which are on concupiscence, and then two which balance out the matter. And it's important for us to remember just where we are in this monumental work of Pope John Paul II's Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. We're in the first part of the work, the words of Christ. We're in the second part of that first part. Christ appeals to the human heart. Earlier, Christ had appealed to the beginning. And in appealing to our human heart, he reminds us that we are to be pure of heart, not only to not commit adultery, but not even to look upon another with a lustful, with a disordered, with a reductive desire. In this light, Pope John Paul II is reminding us of the fall, of our fallen nature, not only of suffering, not only of death, not only of the difficulty with which we are able to know ignorance, but even our tendency to sin, concupiscence is the technical term for this. And so this part of the theology of the body is entitled the man of concupiscence. That's the major heading, each of us, with a wounded nature, good in our being, made in the image of God, no doubt, but there's something wrong. It's the fall. And under this major heading of the man of concupiscence, the Holy Father speaks to us in this 32nd Catechesis under two points. Threats against the expression of the spirit in the body, because the body manifests the spirit. We are embodied spirits. And the loss of the freedom of the gift, the gift of original innocence. We lost that with original sin. But then also the freedom of the gift of self, one to the other, husband to wife, wife to husband, the man to the woman, the woman to the man. 
loss of the freedom of the gift. What will set us free, the truth will set us free. And for freedom we have been set free. Liberty is not license, and the Holy Father is calling us to excellence, even as Christ our Lord calls us to the same, to excellence, to virtue, to holiness. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the cry of Christ our Lord, a cry which Mother Church resonates even until the Lord should return in glory at the end of time to judge the living and the dead. There are eight points on concupiscence, which I would like to focus on and then turn the corner to fruitfulness and, again, our fallen nature. The Holy Father taught in this catechesis that the concupiscence that comes from the world limits and deforms the objective mode of existing of the body, which is the communion of persons from the mystery of creation. So that needs to be unpacked. Concupiscence, that's the fall in nature. That's the tendency to do evil, the tendency to sin. Grave, serious, mortal sin or venial sin. St. John reminds us that all sin is evil, but not all sin is deadly. For we should heed the cry of Christ to reject sin in the here and now, turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. Concupiscence comes from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Christ has left us to bear witness to the gospel, to the truth of the faith, to reflect his light, light received first in holy baptism. Concupiscence limits us and deforms us. The objective mode of existing of the body. Objectively, the body is good, part of the good creation. God saw all that he had made and it was good. That's objectivity, that's reality. But the fall is reality too, and concupiscence, a tendency to sin, is a reality too. Thanks be to God for our Savior. Concupiscence limits and deforms our objective mode of existing in the body, which is the communion of persons. We were made for communion because we're made in the image of God, who is an eternal communion of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. This objective mode of existing in our being as communion of persons is from the beginning, from the creation. And so we see the genius of John Paul II putting this here in the second part of the first part of his man and woman, he created them a theology of the body because he already spoke about Christ appeals to the beginning. It was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted divorce. It was not that way in the beginning. And we're referred to Genesis where we hear of the original unity. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the communion of persons, which is limited and deformed as a consequence of concupiscence, which itself is a consequence of the fall of original sin. Our Holy Father continues, Concupiscence has not totally suffocated or made foreign the spousal meaning of the body, but it does habitually threaten it. Here again, as in the 31st Catechesis, we see that the Holy Father does not have blinders on. He is not overly enamored with ourselves. He knows of the reality of the fall, of our tendency to do evil, concupiscence. And so he says, concupiscence has not totally suffocated. It's tried, it's strangling, or made foreign, the spousal meaning of the body. Not totally foreign, but sort of foreign. That's a consequence. We're alienated from ourselves. We're alienated from each other. We're alienated from God, a distance which could only be overcome by our Lord, who came from heaven to earth. He went the distance, not only from on 
on high to here below, but even to the height of the cross he went the distance, to save us from ourselves, to redeem us, to heal us, to repair that which was broken in the fall, to give us the grace we need to battle this tendency to do evil, to battle concupiscence, because, as the Holy Father reminds us, it habitually threatens us, it habitually threatens the spousal meaning of the body, words which were echoed by our Lord at the Last Supper. This is my body given up for you. Words which are echoed by the couple on their wedding night in their bridal chamber. This is my body given for you. Continuing our Holy Father's presentation on concupiscence in this 32nd catechesis, man and woman, he created them. The Holy Father had this to say, concupiscence in general and concupiscence of the body in particular attacks the sincere gift of self without which we cannot find ourselves. And he cites Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world of the Second Vatican Council, which he was so instrumental in writing. His favorite passage is Gaudium et Spes 22, where he and the council fathers remind us that Christ came to reveal not only God to us, but us to ourselves. Concupiscence in general, a tendency to sin generally, and concupiscence of the body in particular, so those are corporeal sins, gluttony, too much food, too much drink, but also sins of lust, sins of the flesh, concupiscence of the body, tendency to sin with the body, particularly attacks the sincere gift of self. The axiom is non hobbit, non dobit. You cannot give what you do not have. And in order to give yourself to the other, especially husbands to their wives, wives to their husband, they have to be self-possessed. And the tendency to sin attacks the sincere gift of self. And not only that, but if we cannot give ourselves, we're not able to know who we are. I am given to you. You are given to me. So in that relationship, we are known as friends, as husband and wife, the father and the son eternally given to each other, and their relation so real that is said to be the Holy Spirit, according to Augustine. Again, continuing on his theme of concupiscence in this 32nd catechesis, Pope John Paul II tells us that concupiscence depersonalizes us and makes us objects for the other. To be depersonalized, this is part of our great dignity, to be human persons made in the image of the divine persons of Almighty God. This tendency to sin, the tendency to do evil, concupiscence, depersonalizes us, takes away our dignity, makes us objects for the other, and has us make an object of the other. This in itself is sin. And this is where Immanuel Kant had it right. We are not to treat others as means, but as ends, ends in themselves. And the Holy Father will address that later on. Man is the only creature which God has willed for himself. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the land, the trees, all of these were made for us. But God made us for ourselves, to mirror his own goodness and being, embodied spirits that we are. What's the remedy for this concupiscence? God's grace, God's mercy, God's power, the example of the Lord Jesus himself and of his saints, 
especially his blessed mother, who never submitted her will to any sin. Again the Holy Father addresses concupiscence. He tells us concupiscence signifies that the personal relations of man and woman are one-sidedly and reductively tied to the body and to sex, in the sense that these relations become almost incapable of welcoming the reciprocal gift of the person. Again, he uses that word almost. He used it in the last catechesis, and it was a sign of hope, almost incapable of welcoming the reciprocal gift. This, again, is showing the tension which exists between the fall and redemption. We are not totally depraved, as some have said over the centuries. The fall is real, and it affects us. We have a tendency to sin. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and even with ourselves is wounded, one-sidedly and reductively tied to the body and to sex. And so we see so much domination. Your desire will be for him, and he will dominate you. This is a disorder. It's a consequence of the fall, and that's part of the reality. And the Holy Father is not saying this to beat us up or to tear us down, but like any physician, he's diagnosing the problem, and he gives us the remedy. He gives us the answer to the question, and the answer is Christ, and the remedy is his grace, given us beginning in baptism, deepened in confirmation and Holy Eucharist communion. And for those sins which we commit after baptism, the remedy is the sacrament of penance. Holy marriage, a great aid for those who are called to holy marriage, that they might battle concupiscence with the aid of each other, husband helping his wife and the wife helping her husband, both of them helped by God's grace, bearing witness to each other and to all the love between Christ and his bride, the church, a sacrificial love, a life-giving love, a love which is to the end. Still addressing concupiscence, Pope John Paul II, in this 32nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them a Theology of the Body, says concupiscence is not able to promote union as a communion of persons. This phrase, communion of persons, is so essential for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the divine persons of the Trinity, the incarnate person. The Father and the Spirit did not assume our human nature. Nevertheless, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are an eternal communion of persons in whose image we are made. And concupiscence, the tendency to sin, the tendency to do evil, that consequence of original sin, the fall, disturbs our ability to be in communion with each other and with God. Concupiscence is not able to promote union as a communion of persons. Barnyard animals copulate, but there's no union of wills, there's no unions of heart nor mind. That is proper to the human being and to the divine persons in the case of will. The Holy Father continues his presentation on concupiscence by saying, Concupiscence restricts self-mastery from within and, in some sense, makes the interior freedom of the gift impossible. The Pope did not use the term virtue, but self-mastery is just that. And the virtue, especially linked to the theology of the body, is the virtue of chastity, a rightly ordered or rightly exercised sexuality. But there are other virtues related to this such as temperance, not too much, not too little, such as fortitude. It takes strength to abstain outside of holy marriage. It takes strength to engage in the periodic continence, sometimes necessary 
even within holy marriage. Concupiscence restricts self-mastery from within. Because concupiscence is the tendency to do evil, it's in our hearts, it's in our will, it's in our mind. And so there's the battle royale, in some sense. Not totally, does not destroy totally, but in a sense, in a way, partially. The interior freedom of the gift impossible. We see both the possibility for self-mastery, but also the difficulty of self-mastery here in this one passage of Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So again, he is not overly exuberant or confident. Oh, we've conquered it all. And Christ has conquered sin, the grave, the cross. And in him, we have a chance. And even more a chance, we have a promise. So long as we commit ourselves to him and work with his grace, which he gives us through his bride, the church, confidence at self-mastery is high. And the last thing on concupiscence I thought was striking in this 32nd catechesis of the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, goes like this. Concupiscence casts doubt on the fact that each is willed by the Creator for himself. And I wonder if there's a double meaning here. If the for himself refers not only to the individual who has been created, God created us for ourselves, but also God has created us for himself to behold his image in us. Concupiscence cast doubt. Who is the father of lies? Who is the prince of darkness? Satan, the devil, that ancient serpent, the dragon. He is the father of lies, and he also was casting doubt in the garden. Surely God did not say, do not eat from the tree. Doubt is a sin against faith. God has revealed himself, and he reveals us to ourselves in Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ will come again. Christ will judge the living and the dead. Have no doubt about this. Pope John Paul II, in his great magisterial work, The Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, is trying to correct whatever doubts we have about our human nature, whatever doubts we have about human sexuality. He's trying to restore that certainty by very clear thinking, by a very clear presentation. But it takes some effort to approach it and to appropriate it and then to live it. It's one thing for us to read it until we're blue in the face. It's another thing until we're in the blue skies of heaven with Our Lady, whose color is said to be blue. The last part of this 32nd catechesis I wanted to address did not specifically engage the Holy Father's presentation on concupiscence. It is when he addresses fruitfulness or procreation and the reality of the fall of which concupiscence is a part, but distinct. The Holy Father mentions fruitfulness and procreation before he mentions the spousal character expressing love by which the human person becomes a gift. Some people are making an opposition between the generative and the unitive aspects of holy marriage, the sacrament of marriage. And it's both, two sides of the same coin. If the husband and wife are not good to each other, what good will they be to the children? So we want both fruitfulness, fecundity, procreation, cooperating with God, the giver of life, but also the unitive aspect, that gift of self. This is where the Pope says there is a fulfillment of the deep meaning of our personal being and our personal existence in both the fruitfulness and the procreation. That he says deep meaning is to remind us of his whole philosophical endeavor. Life has meaning. Marital love has meaning. There are those who deny that we can know any truth or that there is any such thing as truth. Pope John Paul II was not part of that bandwagon. 
he follows the Lord Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is the bridegroom of Mother Church. And the relationship the Lord Jesus has with his bride, Mother Church, is faithful and fruitful, life-giving to the end. So that's one thing which is very important in this 32nd catechesis. And the other was, again, the reality of the fall. After sin, there's a new situation the Pope says, and it's addressed by Genesis chapter 3, the Old Testament. It's there whereby the expression of personal communion of man and woman grows weak and dark. When I read those words, when I hear those words, it reminds me of the fall impacting our ability to know, to understand, the fall which affects our reason. Our reason was weakened. Our reason was made dark as a consequence of the fall. And so, too, the difficulty for interpersonal communion between man and woman, husband and wife. The Pope even says, driven back to another level, regressive. Thanks be to God, we're not left to our own devices. Thanks be to God, Jesus gives us the grace we need to overcome this darkness and weakness and this regression. In Christ, we can do all things. He strengthens us to be saints, to combat sin, that which we've inherited, and even original sin. Until next time, God bless you.